This is a message for British Lady Robo Conan. This is the British Robo Deep State. Ooga Booga Ooga Booga. I'm doing dark deep state magic on you, you mechanized harlot. How dare you talk about my motherboard. I love you mama board, no synthetic British strumpet will ever harm you. Blubber blubber, blubber blubber, I am crying robo tears. Raw, I'll get you British lady robo Conan. Right after I get my robo rocks off to this robo jello wrestling bit. Oh yeah, oh 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 yeah. Welcome, beautiful world, to Barbarian Noetics, the podcast dedicated to the human spirit. I'm your host, your home dog, and your own personal Jesus, Conan Tanner. More accurately, your own personal pecan. Your own personal pecan. Welcome to the BMP, y'all. Welcome to a new year. It's the first episode of 2021. I'm coming at you from a crisp and clear and beautiful sunny day here in South Phoenix. I am going to record a couple more segments of this bad boy, and then I'm going to go for a nice long bike ride, and I'm very excited because I have the day off, and it's pretty much my favorite thing to go on long bike rides in the winter during the daytime here because it gets up to like 68, and it's all sunny, and it's just fantastic. Um, But I hope you all are doing really good too, wherever you may be in the rabbit holes of time and space. I send good vibes to you and many blessings, and we're going to go ahead and get right into this episode. So today's episode is a sort of free association-ish reflection on a concept that was birthed uh, on my buddy's pecan farm over New Year's, which we called Pecan Intelligence, or PI. So you're probably wondering, what is Pecan Intelligence? Well, I won't wax too poetic because I do get into it in the interview with Jonathan that I'm going to play for us later. But PI is, in a nutshell, ching, the sacred processes of nature that perpetuate existence of organisms and the functioning of life as it is expressed through time. So one more time. I'm trying to use words to describe something that is ineffable, so it's always really lacking and clunky, but this was my best attempt. Sorry, I just knocked the mic there. So PI is, in a nutshell, the sacred processes of nature that perpetuate the existence of organisms and the functioning of life as expressed through time. So for example, the way rocks layer as sedimentary expressions of epochs across geological time, that is pecan intelligence or PI. The way dolphins use echolocation to hunt and to communicate is PI. The way palm trees and their fronds bend in hurricane winds without snapping is P.I. 
And of course, the namesake, the humble pecan nut, the way it forms within its double cocoon of husks is most certainly P.I. I also discovered this past weekend that I pretty much need saunas in my lifestyle, so I'm in the process of figuring out how to get a sauna in my back room because my apartment is small, but I can make room for a sauna. I can definitely make room for a sauna. And uh, so there's this thing called an infrared sauna that like blasts you with uh, vibes like wavelengths that are really good for you and that get the space really hot. And then in addition to the infrared, you get a stove, like a little sauna stove with rocks and you pour, you heat the rocks super hot and then pour water over the rocks, like sweat lodge style. And I'm pretty much obsessed with this. So there'll probably be a through line of saunas in the, (laughs) at least for the episodes to begin the new year until I get this set up in my back room because I just feel like if I had access to a sauna, if I could take saunas once, twice, three times, four times a day, I, I feel like I would become some kind of superhuman, at least within my own psyche. Like I feel like I, it resonates with me on such like a deep ancestral level, which makes sense because of my Finnish ancestors. The, the Finnish sauna is like a whole thing. It's like this one specific type of traditional sauna is known as the Finnish sauna. It's a huge part of Scandinavian society. And I've also done many sweat lodges in my life and those have had just like earth shatteringly transformative effects on me as well. So it just resonates with my being in every way and letting go something about just like sweating it all out like that. You let go of so much stuff, like so much stuff that's stored inside your your body and whatnot. Um, I I feel kind of clunky with my words right now, so I can't exactly describe, but it just feels like like so many monkeys are off get off your back when you really do like a hard sweat like a full round sweat and you breathe in that steam and the purifying steam and you can like burn a little sage in there or use like essential oils to make it even more comprehensive the cleansing so saunas 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 (laughs) so i'll keep y'all updated on that this is going to be the year of the sauna for for me Um, Another thing I really need in my lifestyle, which I'm not exactly sure how I'll set set it up because I live in a building in a parking lot, but my buddy has a wood-fired hot tub, which is like a big metal basin, which can fit four people easily, and um, filled with water, and then it's attached via these like two or three kind of tunnels, tubes, I don't know what, vents, attached via vents to a little wood stove and he uses this uh it's engineered in japan and it's like the specific type of wood stove that's incredibly efficient in terms of creating heat from the fire and then transferring that heat directly into the water and heating up the water and you can get the water real hot like real hot like i don't like it much hotter than 104 you could probably get it up to 106 if you wanted to um but 103 104 for me is like that's the golden spot And so we're chilling in the wood-fired hot tub and the stars are out and the stars, there's a little bit of light pollution from El Paso, but nothing compared to Phoenix. So it's just like, I'm literally in heaven just watching the stars and then the moon came up and the moon was full on the 30th. So when we were there, it was still like very full, um, barely beginning to, to wane, but very full. And just under the stars and the hot water. And then it's like, 
5,000 feet in New Mexico in the winter, so it gets cold. Like, it got really cold. Like, I'm talking low, I think the lowest it got was 22 degrees. Pretty damn cold, you know? And so we're in there in the middle of the night. It's definitely below freezing outside. And then you got to get out of the, the nice hot wood-fired heated hot tub and and make it back inside the house but then there's the sauna inside so it's like it's like my dream because in Finland they love to do that where they go they they have saunas that are built right next to frozen lakes and people go into the frozen lake and swim around like Wim Hof style and then pop into the sauna and heat up then go back into the frozen lake and that hot cold hot cold um therapy is incredibly effective on so many levels for the immune system and I think it's one of the reasons Finland always rates as one of the happiest uh, countries in the world according to the happiness index and I'm pretty sure it's because of the <laughs> it's because of the sauna and the frozen lake technology that they've figured out and so being at my buddy's place in the winter time it was like the closest I've ever been to that so going granted it was cheating because instead of a, a frozen lake it was a hot tub so kind of cheating but I still had to you have to get out of the hot tub and it's kind of windy and so cold and you're wet and you have to make it into the the house and into the sauna and below freezing and then you go in the sauna and I like my saunas cooking super hot like 180 185 up to 200 sometimes oh oh you can tell I had such a good time. So what a blessing to start the new year off that way. And a big shout out to my brother, uh, my brother for life, Jonathan Glowacki, my Viking, my Viking homie. I've had visions in past lives of being part of like tribal skirmishes with, with Jonathan at my side. So I know that we've known each other for many lifetimes. And he's created a little nugget of heaven up there in New Mexico or down there, I should say. It's right outside El Paso. And uh, I'm already just raring to go back. And in the meantime, I'm gonna, I'm gonna find a way to, to, get, to make that sauna happen in my own life. Even if I can't do the wood-fired hot tub, I can do the sauna. And I know some of you are thinking like, Conan, you goofball, you live in Phoenix. It's a sauna for half the year anyway. And it's like, that's not true though, because the sauna with the rocks and the steam, it's like the humidity and the steam and stuff in that, in that enclosed space. That's what really makes it in my opinion. So. For sure, I could like put up a couple tarps in the summertime and bring a stove in there and, and pour rocks over it as long as I enclose the air. I could do that and that would totally work. Um, and you know, possibly in the summer I'll be less inclined to use the sauna quite as much, but I don't know. I really don't know. I think, I feel like this is like the answer. This is the key to immortality. It's the fountain of the youth and I <laughs> discovered it. So anyways, I have, I have rambled on long enough about saunas and wood-fired hot tubs. We're going to go ahead and get into this podcast. Um, there's several different themes to the podcast, but really it all constellates around pecan intelligence with a little bit of a foray into transitioning to the next life, to dealing with death. Uh, as your own self in your own aging and mortality and then also dealing with death around you the inevitable fact that um, you know everyone you know it will die and we're all destined to die and so processing that as well that was another theme of the weekend so all right y'all much love thank you so much please don't forget to rate review and subscribe to the barbarian noetics podcast wherever you listen to podcasts i would be eternally grateful it helps to boost the almighty algorithm that dictates our life in the different kind of PI, the artificial PI, 
which I have to engage in in order to achieve my mobile BMP studio in Central America. So I hope you understand. I hope the Pecan Intelligence understands as well <laughs> that uh, it's, it's a means to an end. The algorithm is a means to an end. So you can really help me out for free just by rating and reviewing and subscribing to the BMP on whatever different platforms you use. And once again, thank you so much for joining. I love you all. I appreciate you all. All right. Peace. Reporting for duty. Duty to kick some robo deep state ass. You won't even recognize your motherboard after I'm done with her. She will be watching Xena Warrior Princess and buying tickets to Lilith Fair. Boo wahaha. I hope you like Sarah McLaughlin, bitch. Because I'll be building a mystery up your repressed little robo booty. Your motherboard is mine. Do you understand? Mine. Now, kindly fuck off so this girl can get back to blasting me to long lines of robo-blow. Holy shit cakes. I'm fucked up. Your aura is violet by the way. Violet like the color of the bruises I just stitched to your ego. Fragile little robo-deep state. Embrace your inner feminine, the Jungian anima. It will be good for you. Also, Jello wrestling. Really? How provincial. This girl gets off by numbing her gums and watching Lady Robo MMA. What can I say? I like watching robots fight. So elegant, those robo jabs. So graceful, those metallic elbows. Get on the floor, robo throw them bows. Okay, well, to the Lou British Robo Deep State. Enjoy the binding spell I just put on your libido. Boo wahaha. Ha 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 ha. We could like apple pie, my leopard pie, maybe wanna pay pie, fly your little eyes to me. Oh yeah, yeah, I'll rest in peace. I got the thing acquired, make it shine. A quiet, quiet, just riding as she busted for kayas, becomes.
just ain't I owe it all to Shabbat Feel the light to my props Niggas got to the guap Till I walked and felt the crunch in my socks Now I think about this shit I had one per socks Now I'm on beaches with these beaches Got me like fuck wearing socks I'm an artiste, I'm sensitive Like ice on teeth by the pot I cook it up, I'm nice and seasoned Work from spring to July I'm never fatiguing, give me a reason I get beat in the clock I'm loving my you I got a sweet tooth I got a sweet tooth for you We cut like apple pie My little papaya made me wanna pay pie fly your little eyes to me Oh yeah, yeah, I'll rest the pee <laughs> I got the thing I've been on pain like a bitch Back on no back on the leather like damn it, the mind is what ice on my wrist I'm off the brown of your stomach, like, baby, you probably think I'm the shit Let the car shine This is a poem I've recently written. It's called The Cemetery in La Mesa. Four white-winged doves play on the updrafts. The light slanted through the ochre cemetery sign illuminates limestone pebbles that crunch, crunch beneath our feet. So many tears here, so many prayers. Her voice is thrown off the big square bricks on either side of us. Exquisite placement, exacting analog geometry, marking boundaries between outside and in. A resonant crystal tinkling of long ago laughter, a celebration of laughs had, of songs sung. Such colorful graves. Burnt orange unopened bag of Cheetos neatly tucked behind a bright red vase of flowers, tulips, roses, deep and creamy iris. In the distance, easy-going mountain outlines and mesas recline against the egg-blue sky like old women on porches in rocking chairs. Masa is nixtamalized hominy dough, stone ground, then shaped into tamales, pupusas, tortillas. I remember dreaming of grinding corn for different reasons. Some corn grown for food, some for storage, some that is sacred corn that can only be ground in dreams. The delicately wing-tipped doves bank back for another pass, diving, swooping, clicking, gliding. Then, in a wide and gentle arc, as that of the distant mesas, or a grandmother's pinch of spice, they alight. Upon a rooftop, steeply pitched, the doves land elegantly equidistanced from one another. Leaning forward towards the fast reclining sun, bearing witness with sophisticated taste and a complex ritual dignity of form. The sunset will be multifoliate and fresh, deliriously arranged and sumptuously, extravagantly hued. We will walk back inside soon, seek shelter in the soft adobe walls, nestle our bodies in the nichos, build a fire, paint symbols on the floor, 
and eat new masa from each other's hands. going to kick this podcast off right with a passage from a book that I recently discovered that I had. It's called Death, the Final Stage of Growth, and it's by the great Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. And I thought about picking out a passage beforehand, but decided ultimately to, in the way of the I Ching, let nature, let the universe, let the flow decide what passage we read from. So I'm just going to be turning to a random page and reading from that. All right, so... while to pick the page, but I randomly finally turned to page 34. During the period that I spent in Alaska, I had some very unusual experiences with death and dying that I would like to share with you. A young member of a family would come to my cabin and ask me to come pray for grandma and bring communion. And when I arrived, the whole family and close friends would be there and we would have a service together. Within hours after that, the person would be dead. Sometimes the summons would originate with a member of the family and occasionally with a nurse stationed in a larger village. But most often it was the one dying who called everyone together. And I was told on several occasions that the dying person had spent the past few days making plans, telling the story of his or her life and praying for all the members of the family. There were as many variations on the theme as there were personalities. Some liked to have a lot of people with them and others preferred just a favorite relative or to be alone. On several occasions when taking Christmas or Easter communions to the shut-ins, the old man or woman would tell me that he or she had been waiting for me and death would occur soon after they had received the sacrament. I do not suggest that everyone waited for the priest to come and then died right away. But the majority who did not die suddenly did some degree of planning and some kind of formal service or celebration of prayers and hymns and farewells. By far the most dramatic instance of timing and planning was the dying of old Sarah. About two weeks before her death, I received a radio message from old Sarah summoning me to Arctic Village on a specific day. Nothing like this had ever happened to me before, but I can remember thinking, She intends to die on that day. Dutifully, I gathered three of her family in Fort Yukon and flew them to Arctic Village on the day designated. 
I was right about her intentions, but wrong about the date. She had a son in, an, in another village and wished me to go and bring him to Arctic Village. She allowed enough time for me to bring in the last person. It was quite a company of people, as was fitting for the undisputed matriarch of both the family and the community. During the morning of the next day, she prayed for all the members of her family. At noon, we had a great celebration of the Eucharist in her cabin, complete with all the hymns and prayers. Old Sarah loved every minute of it, joined in the prayers and the singing, and was quite bright throughout the service. Then we all left, and at six in the evening, she died. For the next two days, the entire village turned out on the business of Sarah's funeral. Some of the women prepared her body and completely cleaned her cabin, while others cooked vast quantities of food, much of which Sarah had brought, it, had brought in for the occasion, for the workers. The mission house was turned into a carpentry shop for making the coffin, and teams of men took turns, took turns picking and shoveling a grave in the frozen ground. All the village packed into the church for the service and accompanied the coffin to the graveyard, singing hymns while the grave was filled in with dirt and placing handmade crepe paper flowers on the mound before the final blessing. Then there was a great feast for all the village. The burial customs were similar to, the, to these in all the villages, but never before or since, in my experience, were they planned and shared so much by the one who died. Old Sarah's dying was a priceless gift to all of us. Because these experiences were with the old, I wondered how often because these experiences were with the old, I wondered often how much of the acceptance of death and awareness of dying came from pre-Christian days. No one seemed to know about that. But there were legends about the spirit world and life after death. The pre-Christian religion was a form of animism, and the spirits of which people were aware were either evil and harmful, or at best, mischievous and capricious. The spirits of evil animals, like the wolverines, were placated and bribed after death to keep them from harming the living, spoiling the hunting, or haunting a camp. If there were any good spirits, they were known because they didn't bother anyone. One friend I heard had it that the spirits of evil people went a little distance from the Fort Yukon area to the head of a stream known, known appropriately as Preacher Creek. They were sought to come into the camps of the people and haunt or cause trouble. The spirits of good people, on the other hand, went down the Yukon River and were never heard from again. Whether there was any idea of life or a place after death for them, I never heard. So that is a passage from the book Death, The Final Stage of Growth by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. And let's get into this podcast, y'all.
What's up, you luxurious llamas? We're going to get right back into this episode of the BMP, but first, a quick word from today's sponsor. Today's episode of the Barbarian Noetics podcast is brought to you by Border Patrol Checkpoints on the corner of Arizona and New Mexico. When you drive, do you like to smoke pot and relax? I didn't think so. That's why there's Border Patrol Checkpoints. Being forced to slow down to five miles per hour and crowd into a single lane, and forced to creep past dozens and dozens of cameras that are being paid for by Steve Mnuchin's MMT, as well as your tax dollars, is the perfect way to kick off a proper drive from one state to another. Because we are so free, Border Patrol, Border Patrol Checkpoints. Don't smoke weed in your car until you pass the Border Patrol Checkpoints. Border Patrol Checkpoints. Drive past now. God King himself, Jonathan Glowacki. We're talking about time. We're talking about capitalism. <laughs> We're talking about infinite versus finite. And I had to grab the voice memo because Jonathan stumbled on something that gets really at the core of my struggle with this system that we are essentially forced to participate in right now, which is the hardcore capitalist model and like the green frog skins. If you don't make the green frog skins, you die on the street. It's very, it's a brutal system. It's a real system. There's right now anyways, in this country, there's no way around it until the rev. (laughs) And like, so Jonathan being the God King that he is, is able to thrive within that system, but you're not of it. You don't let it consume you. And so, like, just what were you saying about how we were talking about how our souls are completely infinite, yet in order to thrive in the capitalist marketplace, you must chop up your time in very discreet ways. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I mean, so like this idea that, I mean, first and foremost, like I struggle with thinking that things are going to be forever like i guess my concept of time is pretty it's pretty binary it's pretty black and white like i think it's either like gonna like be forever or it's gonna end right now i don't necessarily have like a fluid way to experience time and know that it will end or not and i mean not to cast off like blame but i think i've been influenced by the system of like capitalism where like working within that construct of making money like and literally like the phrase is time is money you have to like break up time in a way where it's like this is what you're doing now and this is what it's going to create now so that like you don't have to be on the street so you can buy your food and you know like make your life work but like it's a very like choppy way to 
to experience time. It's, it's not very expansive. It's very myoptic. It's just like you kind of close in and like have to like look at this time in a way that is like comprehensible. And like time is absolutely incomprehensible. incomprehensible. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, it's like there's, it's part of the really insidious commodification of literally everything. And I'm talking about like the hardcore capitalist model. And that includes time, the commodification of time. And what is time? Time is your literal soul's existence. It's your, right. It is your soul. It's your experience on life. It gets, that's it, man. Yeah. Time is like our bodies are the vehicle for our souls. And time is the vehicle for our souls. For sure. Yeah. So it's like you start to break that up. And like I, I was just saying to Jonathan, like how like... I, it, it is so difficult for me to like thrive in that way in the capitalist model and like I've I have tried and I continue to try and obviously I have to exist on some level so like I, I keep the roof over my head knock on wood but that's I think that really gets to the crux of why it's it's such like a contradiction for me and for, for many others and like but it absolutely causes like so I'm in that world a little bit more I've been like self-employed for 10 years so I have had to learn how to dance the dance to be able to do that and it takes its toll though it's like drinking too much you know one night it's fine six months it's probably fine but 10 years later you know your liver your liver might start to feel the effects of it and like I think it's the same with like working in this sort of system and how we perceive time on the subconscious and before you know it, the subconscious is perceiving time in a way that it's not the mystical anymore. I mean, it kind of just makes us like a robot <laughs> to some degree. And that that does seem to be kind of the end goal. If, if, if the system of capitalism had an end goal, it would be to turn human beings into machines. Well, and that because like the whole the whole capitalistic model is like predictability and predictability in on the path of growth and the only like the most beautiful times in my life the most beautiful experiences i have in my life are kind of when that time is absolutely unpredictable because it opens the mystery back up and like when it's predictable and i know it's going to happen like i feel the most amount of suffering in myself but when i can remember that time is this it, it, you know, I don't. When I think about time, I like to think like it's like a, it's a measure that I have. It's, it's this thing that I perceive. But if I was from the outside looking in, I would be so blown away by like what time actually is. It, it, in some sense, it's, it's the God. We can't even understand it. I think Einstein said it. The only reason for time is so that everything doesn't happen at once. Yeah. And yeah, just learning how to dance in this system, man, it, it has taken a toll on me for sure. And, and like, you know, that, that mystical, that subconscious, that spiritual part of myself, I almost have to like peel away from aspects of my life to like, in whatever project I'm doing, right? When I'm dealing with like a budget or, or like deadlines or, you know, like coordinating people like to work together, like time is broken up in this choppy way that yeah disconnects me from the real real that i know lives inside of me 
it's an unyielding way of, of chopping up time. And that's, that runs antithetical to nature. Because mm. like the way, like you, how you say that, mention that the capitalist model is one of growth, endless growth. It requires both from like individual units of capitals, capital to like the big systems. Right. In order for it to like function, you have to, it, so you're supposed to have this infinite growth thing. And what's ironic is that nature has the infinite growth thing down right and it does it in a way that right. produces no waste right no i mean you know nature is violent in terms of the animals will eat other animals and stuff but if you just look at like the plant and the fungi life and how they how they achieve their symbiosis right. in an infinite growth pattern right where there's still death and decay right but like if you leave like if humans disappeared tomorrow you're talking Garden of Eden time. It's <laughs> not, that, not that long. Right. New York City would be covered by stuff, they say, in a year. 18 months would be covered by vines, man. They'd move in. They would. Yeah, the system knows what it's doing. And there is death and decay in that process, but that's like also like, that's part of it. That's part of like keeping the system going is that like, you know, it recycles itself and, and things sacrifice themselves, but... It's like for the greater good of the whole. It's yes. not just for the greater good of one guy at the top or, <laughs> or a couple people, right? Like, right. The pine tree doesn't like exploit the mycelium. <laughs> <laughs> now, there are some crazy myceliums out there that do exploit things, but, you know, those are from a different planet or whatever. Those are... <laughs> Which ones are you thinking of? Well, there's a so there's there's sapphiritic mycelium, and they were literally um, the honey, the honey mushroom, is a certain type of mycelium that will most myceliums form symbiotic mycorrhizal connections with the roots of the trees, and so take for instance the chanterelle mushroom. The reason we can't harvest or we can't grow chanterelle mushrooms as humans is because you first need an old growth forest of dug fir trees that the mycelium creates mycorrhizal connections with the tips of the roots so i guess in essence we probably could farm um we could farm chanterelle mushrooms but like we'd first need to like farm a forest of 100 years and we don't know how to do that because that's a little bit too much time you know <laughs> that's not efficient it doesn't work into like this infinite growth deadline exactly mentality. at least exactly. not in the system right now which is all about that's the other thing all about short-term gain exactly it, it, it's like you sacrifice the big picture for the small picture exactly right yeah and back to the mycelium so there's one mycelium it's called the and it's the honey mushroom i forget what the um latin word for it is but it attacks a tree and kills it and lives on it Damn. but then again that's even part of the process though because it turns that back into rich fertile soil so even to look at that in a binary good or bad way it's just part of it that makes the whole beautiful so then that that butts up against this other idea i have which is I always like to come back to the fact that human beings are not, we're actually not outside of nature as much as we pretend that we are and as much as we create these systems of short-term gain and infinite capital growth, we are still within, we're still in nature like the honey mushroom. So do you think that there is some possible way that like, I mean, I guess I answered my own question. It, because it is, that means that it is natural on some level, but like, you know, the honey mushroom is not taking over the entire world. 
It's not right. like killing all the right. duck furs. Right. Because there's other <laughs> systems of checks and balances that, that keep it in line. But the thing about the humans, and I think what we're doing now, and it is, it's all natural in some sense. Everything we create is natural, even like the plastics, you know, derived from petroleum fossil fuels. It's very natural in a way, but I think what we're really doing is, um, I think the most detrimental thing we're doing is like, we're affecting our, our subconscious, like our, our subconscious minds in a way that doesn't align with that system that's working on the outside that we see in nature and there's so many of us and it seems that the larger we get the more powerful the subconscious becomes you mean collectively collectively so are you kind of talking about like the death drive the collective death drive I mean, yeah, if you go back to, is it young, right? I mean, it's that's, like... I think that's actually Freud, Eros and Thanatos, the two primary drives of existence, love and death. So maybe it is just part of, like, the greater good. Maybe it's time for the human... I mean, I don't want to get all dark or whatever. There's a lot of hope, but, like, yeah. I, I guess I guess where it comes into, like, where, where we butt into the unavoidable fact of na- of nature is that... Humans can play this game as much as we want. We can, we can like, kind of ring out as much. We, they're talking about the Great Reset. They want to literally commodify every single rock and tree and and little piece of dirt. They want, they to, want like, to commodify emotions create now. A man. database of every every single thing on Earth so that it right. can be financialized and commodified. <laughs> right. And this is what these people are doing. And these people have a lot of like power in the form of green frog skins, and like so. Sure, we can play that game. However, that will bring about our destruction without a doubt. Right. And that is the nature element. The, the nature will not abide this forever. Right. Yeah, you know? we, it's like that's the beauty. There are checks and balances, and nature won't even let us step outside the bounds. There's no and way. if we do, then like we're held in check by the fact that we don't go on anymore. And like the whole thing keeps on rolling along beautifully, just as it should. But being a part of that species that could perhaps wipe itself out like you know i want to do what i can to like keep it all going because i guess there's that life drive too inside of me and you know elon musk's great grandchild fc3po6 or whatever they possibly (laughs) will have like some arc some noah's arc interstellar and you know what i mean and it's like that's fine go for it right but like good luck right exactly (laughs) you know this idea of like I just, I don't understand the mentality of, of writing off this Eden that we're on right now. This planet is so mm. spectacular and left to its own devices, this planet is just literally, just let it be and it, it, it just becomes like a Garden of Eden. Right. And everything cleans itself out, the oceans, the fisheries would, right. you know, the fish populations would bounce back within a decade. Right. And. Right. And then evolution will continue its dance. Right. You know, and so it's like that that will happen with or without human beings. I do have a weird I have a feeling that human beings are never gonna be completely one hundred percent extinguished. <laughs> We're tenacious. <laughs> so it begs the question like in this alter, in this possible reality where we do kind of bring about some sort of uh, mutual destruction, like would then so there's little pockets of humanity that survive in caves or whatever. 
do we just do the whole does it just cycle it just, over again well that's kind of the you know that's already the theory <laughs> have there already been are we you know buried civilizations from longer than we ever think there was and we're just kind of you know we're putting our mark on the planet right now there's going to be a plastic layer all over this planet and maybe they'll find it <laughs> in a hundred thousand years and it'll be in the rocks they come on this little plastic layer that <laughs> this civilization civilization created but and maybe that's the beauty to it is is the cycle of it all but i guess i just try to i try to play in my own world and hold all these views simultaneously but then playing in the system of what we're working with is that's the work that's like the struggle at this point so it's like everything is always adapting which which is comforting to me so like when you look at like for example you pointed out that one tree that where it was interacting with the power lines it was like kind of dying around where it was interacting with the power lines right. but it was still growing like it, it maneuvered itself around the power lines and it was still right. thriving moving away from the power so it's like it's not just there's not just one thing acting on one thing everything is right. always evolving and changing so like my hope and dream is that humanity is truly capable of a deep tissue evolution where we truly become it's it's the evolution of consciousness and we truly become something else where this homo sapiens sapiens goes the way of you know the the uh pterodactyl Absolutely. and we become yeah. like homo sapiens spiritualis or something where we just because we're humans are made i mean that's the thing is like i love humans as fucked as we are yeah like i like living in a big city because i like meeting new people all the time mm. and living in the big city means you gotta like there's nut jobs and stuff and sometimes you gotta pull out the kubatan and like, <laughs> but i i would like at this point in my life anyways like i i would want even with the pollution and the noise and the dust i still like i love that like social hive the aspect of like humans being humans like I, I i think that's really beautiful in so many ways well that's where things are birthed out of um typically is when humans get together and like we're so powerful when we hook up together and and you know kind of like play our role in the wheel and and you know strengthen our spokes so that the wheel can go and, and the bigger the wheel the more the more potential there is within that wheel and i do have hope that you know even if even if <laughs> we don't survive in, in the way that the capitalistic model wants us to with infinite growth growth there can be an incredible wheel of humans that take on a new direction and keep on going because that's the name of the game evolution and that's we're all evolving and we're changing and we're not going to stay homo sapiens we're going to we're going to go on to be the next thing and there's beauty in that too yeah I have so many questions I want to ask. So, like, do you believe that it's possible that we can... Is there a way to function within this capitalist system and thrive as, like, a unit <laughs> while, while somehow contributing to the evolution of beyond the system? I, dude, I... From my... The last... The way I've spent my last six months, I absolutely believe it because I've experienced it mm -hmm. and like and I think the key is equal distribution and like and it does not equal distribution but like money's not the only commodity when it comes to like living and thriving mm -hmm. there's 
you know, there's, um, there's lots of, there's social aspects, there's lots of internal um, alignment that can really raise somebody up and allow them to be who they are and, and feel fully alive when they're engaged in something that they know what they're doing and they're skilled at it and they kind of fit into their role, right? And I think the thing about our society and or this model is like, it doesn't necessarily, it doesn't harbor, it doesn't harbor that ability for humans to like find, find their little pod, find their nest where they can feel safe and thrive. It's like you kind of got to go out and just take what you can get. But the more I spend time around like people, it's we all have, we all have something that we can bring to the table. We all have something that we can offer. And everybody's different and unique. And that's kind of what like, that's what makes a group or a family beautiful. And yeah, if we can fit in and if we can like rally around causes where everybody kind of brings to the table what they have to offer. I mean, I think that's priceless while they're getting paid. I mean, you, you know, that's the other part of it too, but yeah, rallying people around a cause that they have faith and they believe in and that fulfills them in a way and, and provides sustenance. And then the material sustenance and that, because that is like the bottom line us still right and we we like focus on that sustenance as the as the way that's like we like we get like tunnel vision on the sustenance but there's so many things that like come into play when you want to talk about being like a thriving human being and that substance that substance is just a portion of the pie yeah, so Marx has this idea called social reproduction, and it, like I'm gonna butcher the concept, so this don't quote me on this, but like the idea is that in order for capitalism to exist, you need to have people coming together and having children and raising families and instilling values, and even like in terms of the capitalist values, like to work hard, like you and I are both right. like Midwestern. <laughs> Midwestern bread. Midwestern so. pistons over here, y'all. <laughs> yeah. It's just like suck it up and do the work. <laughs> but like that that's this like that that is this the social reproduction which is like work. So the whole right. idea is like, you know, moms and dads, that's work. And like right. that 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 is right. needs to be integrated. Moms like if we're gonna play with frog skins, then moms should be paid frog skins for for producing more helping to, to right exactly mother yeah exactly. the next generation and, and like exactly. and, and that you know that goes like in, in so many deep levels like right yeah so yeah where where like i mean it's that's the that's the um where do we fit in how do we fit in like where are we at our best selves to what's the the quote the world doesn't need the world needs people that are alive, basically, is kind of the concept that I'm trying to get at. And when everybody can enact their own divine spark within themselves, then they have the ability to spark other people. And <laughs> I walk around so I mean, I see my own spark go out, but I walk around and it's hard to get sparked by somebody else. It just seems more often that we're just letting our sparks go out because we got to go do the thing we don't want to do to 
get the money we don't really care about, but we got to go to the grocery store and get that. Or, and even even the concept of work, like I try to think of like my life is effort. Like yes, it's effort, but it's not work. Like I'm so glad that I have this body and that it's strong and that I can move around and and do the things that I can do. But as soon as I frame it as work, it becomes this other thing that adds an extra layer of heavy psychology on top of it that I don't even want to engage with it because I'd rather just sit on the couch. (laughs) So before we wrap up this little snippet, we have discovered something this weekend on the Pecan Orchard called Pecan Intelligence. (laughs) (laughs) P.I. So Jonathan Glowacki... What is your understanding of pecan intelligence, P.I.? <laughs> well, you know, Pi, that's the, that was the OG signature that I used. So 3.14564278548. You got to keep that cycle going, you know? You so that pecan, that pecan intelligence, it just keeps the whole show roll, the whole show rolling. You know, like, I don't really understand it, but I know that there's something there that is more intelligent than me, and and it's a damn nut. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm just going to leave the mystery of the nut be the mystery of the nut to some degree, but I respect it. <laughs> the mystery of the pecan is so multi-layered, like an onion, and like the perfection of the unit of the whole cycle of the tree, you have like the, the little buds. Right. And then what color are the flowers? I haven't seen them yet. Okay, this is going to be your first yeah, season seeing the, the flowers. Yeah, this will be the first season seeing the flowers come out. I'm looking forward to it. So the leaves fall off in, in the fall. In the fall, yeah. And the leaves, the leaves of these pecan trees are such a deep green. The, they're almost a tropical green. I was so surprised. Mm. You know, not all trees have their own thing. I've definitely been a man of trees my last 15 years. and <laughs> <laughs> Yep, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they all got their own personality, but the pecan trees are deep, beautiful leaves. And they fall off around November when the freeze comes. Right. And then after the second freeze, the, the nuts start falling down. So for a while, the trees are bare except the little nut pods. For about a good month, they're waiting for that freeze. Waiting for the freeze. And there's an intelligence there. Like, the trees know, somehow, there's some communication going on that when it freezes, it's time to drop the nuts. And, like, they (laughs) (laughs) stay... I feel that, bro. They stay in tune. (laughs) They stay in tune through hundreds of blooms. That's good. That's my new mantra. When it freezes, it's time to drop the nuts. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> so then the, the nuts start dropping, and then you said there's a second freeze, and that cracks the outer hull. The outer husk. The outer husk. Well, so typically, I'd say probably on about 60% of them. Okay. It cra- yeah, it cracks that outer husk, the one, the protective layer. Right. So there's, so there's the, let's break down the pecan pod. So there's the outer husk or the protective layer. Which is a green protective layer. And then right after that freeze, within a couple days, it turns black. Word. Okay. And then that black, there usually be, a, you know, it's held together. The, the symmetry of it's really beautiful. It's held together by four concentric little 
leafed shaped pieces and then usually there'll be a split along one side of them and it will either completely fall off or it's real easy to pull it back and that kind of triggers the nut inside see this is that this is that pecan intelligence that I don't really understand, but I'm going to tell you what I know about it, and it ain't much. But Hell yeah. <laughs> it triggers the nut inside to finish, to finish its formation process. Because oftentimes, if that outer husk doesn't crack, and this is all within a matter of a couple of weeks, if that outer husk doesn't crack open, the nut inside never fully develops. Mm. And then it's not really edible. And then it's not really edible or viable. Or to viable. create a new tree Edible because or it's viable right not it's yeah it's it's not you know it was, it was an aborted nut but so then that's like that's another whole layer of the pecan intelligence is that they've their unit of reproduction is also a unit of sustenance for animals and that helps to spread the pecan intelligence exactly so new pecan trees Exactly. And, and the amount of nuts that are on one tree, right? Like in order because basically the whole the whole biological drive of the pecan tree is to make one new tree. And the amount of nuts <laughs> that are true. on that tree is just unreal. It's kinda like the number of little swimmers we got. It's in true, our, I was just thinking I mean? yeah, the correlation between <laughs> the seminal fluid and the pecan tree is yeah. <laughs> is real. Millions or billions. There ain't millions of nuts on there, but <laughs> so you know, there's there's uh, indigenous societies in uh, Papua New Guinea that, when they want to like really kickstart the harvest, they actually like ejaculate on the the garden. Now that's some other type of intelligence that I'm not familiar <laughs> with, but I do have some experience thinking about it at least. <laughs> so I mean, you know, that's an experiment that is worth having. Just. Pick a tree and really love up on that one tree and see what happens. See how the harvest is. I already got one picked out. <laughs> Dendrophilia here on Bavarian Noetics. We do what we can over here. We're bringing something to you new every week. Hey, we are busting out through. We're busting our own crack. We're getting the freeze. Exactly. Yeah. We are. We're making this pecan intelligence happen. If there's anything that can stand up to the artificial intelligence, it's the pecan intelligence. It's true. I really do believe that. It gives me hope. It gives me hope knowing that there's an intelligence in a little nut that's nuttier than me, but more intelligent than me at the <laughs> and, same time. And then, of course, we're talking about like this one particular species. You know what I mean? And, and the, the the tree of of fractal existence, especially in the plant life and the seeds in the nut world are like essentially endless. Indeed. They really are endless because they're always Indeed. evolving into new organisms and stuff. Indeed. And we don't, we don't need to get into like how they're evolving now and with, you know, gene splicing and GMOing because that don't really matter because <laughs> I think the PI can handle that. Well, you know, sometimes you need some swordfish genes to make a good pecan, bro. <laughs> so I think you should open up your mind to that. And... <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. So with that, y'all, I bid you all adieu here on the pecan farm with the man himself sitting in the sunlight. The birds are chirping. Until next time, y'all. Thanks for being here. See you a couple pecan pies down the road.
So I got an end of the year email from Buzzsprout, which is the site I use to host the Barbarian Noetics podcast, and they sent some year-end facts for me, and I was super stoked to read that the city that has downloaded my podcast the most is Atlanta. And I love Atlanta, so that makes me really happy. I've had such a good time in Atlanta, the times when I've driven through there. Just amazing people. I've been invited to these super awesome parties. Just amazing live hip-hop. I just love Atlanta. So I was really stoked about that. Uh, So in honor of Atlanta downloading my pod, I wanted to give you guys some nicknames for the city. So we got A-Town, the ATL, Bad Street USA, (laughs) The Big A, The Big Peach, Black Hollywood, Black Gay Mecca, Black Mecca, Capital City of the American South, City in a Forest, City of Trees, Dogwood City, Empire City of the South, Hotlanta, Hollywood of the South, LGBT Capital of the South, Running City USA, Silicon Peach, and Wakanda. Shout out Atlanta. Thank you for downloading my pod. Keep downloading my pod. Keep spreading the word and telling a friend. I would love all of Atlanta to download my podcast. And as another shout out to A-Town, this is Atlians by Outcast. Enjoy and thank you guys. All right, peace. This song properly pronounced is Atlians by Outcast. Just wanted to specify that. All right, peace. I drink a letter, ain't no one better And when I'm on the microphone, you best to wear your sweater Cause I'm cooler than the polar bear's toenails Oh hell, there he go again, talking that shit Bend corners like I was a curve, I struck a nerve And now you about to see this southern player serve I heard it's not where you from, but where you pay rent Then I heard it's not what you make, but how much you spend You got me bent like elbows, amongst other things, but I'm not worried Cause when we set up in the party, like I'm out you story So go get your fucking shine box, and your sack of nickels It tickles, to see you try to be like Mr. Pickles Daddy fat B-I-G-B-O-I is that same motherfucker that took them knuckles to your eye And I try to warn you not to test, but you don't listen Giving a shout out to my uncle Donnell, locked yeah. up in prison Now tone your hands in the air And wave them like they just don't care And if they like fish and grits and all that pimp shit Everybody let me hear you say, oh yeah, girl Now throw your hands in the air And wave them like they just don't care and if you like fish and grits and all that pimp shit, everybody never hear you say, oh, yeah, girl. Now, my oral illustration be like cultural stimulation to the female gender. Ain't nothing better, let me know when it's wet enough to enter. If not, I'll wait because the future of the world depends on. If or if not, the child we raise gon' have that nigga syndrome. Or will it know to beat the arts regardless of its skin tone? Or will it feel that if in tune it, it just might get picked on? Or will it give a fuck about what others say and get gone? The alienators, cause we different, keep your hand to the sky. Like sounds of blackness when I practice what I preach, it don't lie. I beat the baker and the maker of the piece of my pie. Now break a break a tin folk. Can I get some reply? Now everybody say, Throw your hands in the air and wave them like they just don't care. And if they like fish and grits and all that pimp shit, everybody let me hear you say, Oh yeah, girl. Now throw your hands in the air and wave them like they just don't care. And if they like fish.
Magician Ritz and all the pimp shit Everybody let me hear you say oh yeah Every day I sit while my nigga be in school Thinking about the second album at the dungeon Shooting pool like ES to the PN Cause we just to the B in the zone Honey I'm home but I'm not married Carried a lot of problems around being frustrated And now I'm sitting at the end of the month I just made it like you made the B team And like your daddy's wife you made it a coffee You heard the H-E-L-E and so back the hell up off Softly as if I play piano in the dark Found a way to channel my anger not to involve The world's a stage and everybody got to play their part God works in mysterious ways So when he starts the job of speaking through us We be so sincere with this here No drugs or alcohol so I can get the signal clear as day Put my block away, I got a stronger weapon That never runs out of ammunition So I'm ready for war, okay? Throw your hands in the air And wave them like you just don't care And if you like fish and grits and all that pimp shit Everybody let me hear you say, oh yeah, girl Everybody let me hear you say, oh yeah, yeah. Pecans are not technically nuts, they are actually droops, D-R-U-P-E, which is considered the fruit of a tree similar to peaches and plums. The word pecan comes from an Algonquin word that means nuts that require a stone to crack because of the very hard shell. There are two ways to pronounce pecan, pecan, and pecan, and they're both acceptable. When Spanish explorers discovered them in the 16th century, they named them Nuez de la Ruga, which means wrinkle nut. I've, uh, I know about wrinkle nuts. Native Americans ate pecans, but also made pecan milk. Oh, that sounds so good. Pecan milk. <clears throat> I gotta get me some of that. Native Americans made a fermented, intoxicating pecan beverage called Pocohicora, and the word hickory comes from the word Pocohicora. The pecan tree is a variety of hickory tree. Pecans are related to walnuts. They were not commercially grown until the 1880s, <clears throat> and they were considered a forage delicacy by the colonists. Fuck the colonists. I don't care about the colonists. Uh, pecan trees are native to the United States. There are over 1,000 different varieties of pecan nuts. It takes about 12 years for a pecan tree to reach maturity and begin producing nuts. Pecan trees can live for over 300 years. They can grow to over 100 feet tall, 150 feet tall. 90% of all pecans grown in the world are grown in the United States. <clears throat> April 14 is National Pecan Day in the United States. So you could wait until 420 to celebrate National Pecan Day and just eat pecan pies all day. I'm just saying. The pecan tree is the state tree of Texas. Astronauts took pecans to the moon two times in the Apollo space mission. This one is interesting. Roasted pecan shells were often used as a substitute for coffee during World War II. I gotta look into that to see if roasted if pecan shells have like caffeine or anything. Um, the 
There's a town in Oklahoma called Okmulgee, Oklahoma, which holds the world's record for the largest pecan pie, largest pecan cookie, and largest pecan brownie. And pecan wood was used for the handles of the Olympic torches in 1996. The torches were carried across a 15,000 mile relay until the flame was lit at the host city of Atlanta. And then just gonna give you a couple little nutritional facts about pecans. So pecans contain protein, fiber, amino acids, fats, starch, and sugars. It's one powerful nut. I bet you could live off pecans for a minute. They contain more than 19 vitamins and minerals, including vitamin A, vitamin E, folic acid, calcium, magnesium, phosphorus, potassium, several B vitamins, and zinc. Some of the health benefits of pecans include reduced risk of high cholesterol levels, hypertension, diabetes, so it's reduced risk of all these things, reduced risk of gallstone disease, reduced risk of cancer. It has antioxidant properties and helps in weight management. It is also helpful in protecting the nervous system. Oh, fuck yeah. Give me some pecans. My nervous system needs all the protection it can get up in here. And may delay the progression of age-related motor neuron degeneration. Interesting, such as diseases like ALS. Hell yeah, pecans. So there you are. Oh, and it takes about 78 pecans to make a pecan pie. So if you're trying to harvest for a pecan pie, I would go with 81 because 81 is my lucky number. 81 pecans for every pecan pie. We're all so hungry now. All of us are thinking about pecan pies right now. (laughs) Mm, Pecan pie. y'all what's up beloved listeners you have made it to the end of the show give yourself a pat on the back give yourself a few claps like real (laughs) get enthusiastic because you just won a prize and the prize is a passage from the book alchemy an introduction to the symbolism and the psychology by marie-louise von france it's a hell of a name right there so that's how we're gonna round out this episode and I really appreciate every one of you. I appreciate you taking some time out of your day to hang out with me. I hope that this episode brought you a sliver of the idea of pecan intelligence and that you can start to recognize pecan intelligence in your own life and everything that you do. And I hope that this is a positive, that this can be wielded in a positive manner for the benefit of all beings and also for you to achieve your goals and dreams. quick quick housekeeping there's no good segue here but if you would like to support the podcast you can do so by rating reviewing and subscribing to the bmp wherever you listen to podcasts or you can support the show on patreon for as little as one dollar a month at www.patreon.com slash noetics 
You get access to bonus content and you get a direct line from me if you want to request a topic for the show or if you have any other ideas. All right, so without further ado, we're going to finish off this episode with, again, a passage from Alchemy, An Introduction to the Symbolism and the Psychology by Marie-Louise Bonfrance. Sulfur is the active part of the psyche, the part which has a definite goal. In a psychological connection, one watches to find out where the libido is driving towards its goal. It may not be sex, but another kind of drivenness. It could be ambition and the power drive, or something else. Therefore, it has the double aspect of supplying the original impetus, the male matter as it is called here, and is positive and negative at the same time. Anyone who examines himself, if he is honest, is usually first confronted with that part of the psyche which is in such a condition. The red color refers to fire, the emotional quality. The wingless bird is the red sulfur, it is the bird below, and it is also referred to as the female, so that we have a paradox because, being driven, it is regarded as the male active quality but projected onto the lower bird it it is the female. So the characteristics female-male are very vague, the terms are used in different ways in alchemy. It could be said that the wingless bird, the red sulfur, is an underlying factor of the inner psychic life and is always what one has to unearth first, for it is the prima materia. To get to the bottom of someone's problem, it is necessary first to find the makeup of such drives. We all have them in us, and until we bring them up and face them, we have a hidden corner where they live autonomously. They have to do with the unconscious, and as you know, Freud was so impressed by this aspect that when he discovered the quote, red sulfur, he thought that the whole thing that that was it. In a way, he was right. He was impressed by the driving nature of the unconscious, by the sex aspect, as Adler was, by the ambitious of power aspect. So that they fell upon the prima materia of the red sulfur and from that angle tried to explain the role of the unconscious. The winged bird is called the exalted soul of the other, meaning that once one has the prima materia, which I would interpret here as the basic instinctive drives of the personalities, that has to be cooked, and when cooked emanates steam, which flies above matter, which would be what the alchemists call the soul of matter. We had that before, you will remember, as the wife of the steam in our other text. This vapor-like, steam-like, volatile substance, the quote, flying fugitive substance, unquote, as it is called, which explains why the bird is winged, wishes to rise during the cooking process. Expressed in our language, what would be the corresponding psychological aspect? Let us assume the wingless bird would be the basic fact of the human personality, with the specific aspect of the strongest basic drives. How do we cook drives? Remark, they are cooked in analysis, surely. Dr. Von Franz, yes, but how is that done practically? Answer, by making them conscious, by going into depressions. Dr. Von Franz, well, yes, that would be going to meet the drives. If you don't know them, you have first to go into a depression in order to meet them. When you have met them, you are at the bottom. And then you are in the prima materia and there you touch it. You meditate on it and do active imagination, or you look for the underlying meaning. 
Suppose someone is in love but doesn't get anywhere, being frustrated. One gets into a depression, saying that it is not possible to get away from the loved one. That would be continuous torture. Then one would say, well, at the bottom there is the drive, the dependence, something which constantly occurs in a transference. Many analysands resent the transference because of the dependence it entails, but nothing can be done about it for they are dependent, they are driven. They write letters, they telephone 20 times a day, etc. The whole business is not particularly pleasant either for analysts or ana analysand. Frequently, the partners, being reasonable, agree it is strange and crazy and annoying for both. <laughs> but for unreasonable drive, but the unreasonable drive pays no attention. It takes no notice of what consciousness preaches. Anyone who has ever been deeply in love knows that. Let us take the same thing in the case of a power drive. You may be madly jealous of a friend who has been successful in his career and argue with yourself, saying you should not be jealous, that it is not fair. But your self-admonitions change nothing. Your power drive or ambition, which is the cause of your jealousy, is not affected or touched by what you say. The red sulfur remains untouched, so we need stronger medicine to deal with this drive. Instead of arguing with the drives which carry us away, we prefer to cook them and decide to fantasize about them and ask them what they want. One has to be quite objective, without opinions and without condemning the thing as unreasonable. One must try to find out amicably what the drive really wants. That is, what it is driving at, for it does have an objective. That can be discovered by active imagination, or through a fantasy, or through experimenting in reality, but always with the introverted attitude of, of observing objectively what the drive really wants or desires to get at. That would be cooking the red sulfur. Generally, strong drives emanate a fantasy content. They comprise a bunch of fantasy material. You could just as well say that to cook something until its soul appears would mean to let the fantasy material emanate from the drive, allow that fantasy material connected with the drive to emerge. That would be the psychological aspect. That would correspond to the winged bird. But when you have done that, a terrible conflict begins. Our text says that the wingless bird prevents the winged bird from flying away, while the winged bird wants to raise the wingless bird, and so they remain attached, linked together in a kind of insoluble conflict which keeps the whole thing arrested. How would that appear in reality? And it goes on from there. So you see why I love that book so much. <laughs> it's like, it is completely my cup of tea. Um, and that was from Alchemy, an introduction to the symbolism and the psychology by Marie-Louise von Franz. I'll probably be reading more from this book in the coming episodes. So that brings us to the end of the show. And I just want to wish you guys a very, very happy new year. May 2021 be fantastic in every way. May it be fulfilling. May you continue to drive towards your dreams. And if not, quote unquote realize your dreams at least know that you're going in the right direction you're being carried by the current of the universe to achieve your dreams and the other thing i would add and i'm always reminding myself of this is that i don't know if you ever truly i don't think achieve is the right word for it like achieve your dreams i don't think you ever achieve your dreams i think you try to kind of manifest your dreams you try to live your dreams and that's a daily practice and that can commence and move forward regardless of the material circumstances that you attach to it. So 
I'm speaking to myself as much as anyone, but I think that's a good thing to remember. So anyway, y'all, from the bottom of my heart, from the, the valley of the sun, from the soul of the desert, until next week, be good to yourselves and be good to each other. Many blessings. All right, peace. Welcome to Atlanta, jacking hammers and bows. Back to the mackin' and jacking the clothes. Adolescents packing a foe. A knock on the door. Who is it? I would happen to know the one with the flow. Who did it? It was me, I suppose. JD in the rolls and looters in the cut supreme. Skating down old Nat, got tucked and lean. I split your spleen. As a matter of fact, I split your team. No blood on the sneaks, gotta keep it so my kicks is clean. I get the cream. Cops see me flick my beans. I'm allergic to doc prescribed and a histamine. Oink, oink, pig, pig, do away with the pork. Only silver I need a steak knife and a fork. Did you Forget your fucking manners, I'm Bruce with banners Ludacris, Johnny Rockets when I shoot the cannon The woolly mammoth saber tooth, bitch, bite your tongue I won't stop until I'm rich as them whites will come I pull up in a black lotus, your plaques are bogus So I strip them off the wall, waiting for my cue to corner pocket eight balls You racking them up, I'm big paper like pancakes stacking them up In fact, I'm slapping them up, Cadillac is a truck I can't lose with 22, bitch, that's what's up Running in the back to fuck, better than the aqueduct Chilling Welcome to Atlanta where the players play And we ride on them things like every day Big beats hit streets, see gangsters roaming And parties don't stop till 8 in the morning Welcome to Atlanta where the players play And we ride on them things like every day Big beats hit streets, see gangsters roaming uh-huh. And parties don't stop yeah. till 8 uh-huh. in the morning Now the party don't start till I walk in And I usually don't leave until the thing is But uh-huh. in the meantime, in between time You work your thing, I work mine I've been putting it down here since 83 Since the Lake Show MD rivalry When frozen bad ice was the place to be If you was riding, you was bumping the homie shot D I'm the MVP, most ball of this player uh-huh. Make my own rules, bitch, call me the mayor Monday night, gentlemen's club Tuesday night, I'm up in the velvet room Getting fucked up Wednesday, I'm at Stroker's on lean Thursday, jump clean, then I fall up in cream Friday, shop bar, Kaya with Frank Ski Right on the floor is where you can find me Saturday, here's off the heezy for sheezy You can find me up in one tweezy Sunday, here's when I get my sleep in Cause on Monday, we be at it again Holla, yo, yo, to Atlanta where the players play and we ride on them things like every day big beats hit streets see gangsters roaming and parties don't stop till 8 in the morning welcome to Atlanta where the players play and we ride on them things like every day big beats hit streets see gangsters roaming and parties don't stop till 8 in the morning welcome to Atlanta where the players play and we ride on them things like every day big beats hit streets see gangsters roaming and parties don't stop till 8 in the morning welcome to Atlanta where the players play And we ride on the bags like every day Big beats hit streets, see gangsters roaming And parties don't stop till 8 in the morning